So I was in line at Starbucks. I know. What are the chances? I was in line at Starbucks a couple weeks ago, and I'm standing there with my big stack of books getting ready to order my coffee. And there's an older gentleman in front of me, and you've I've seen this type before. Maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. He was an older gentleman wearing like pink shorts with his old man legs exposed and loafers and tube socks and a crumpled hat. But he didn't look, he looked like the guy who had been very, very important his whole life. Do you know what I mean? Like the guy who like, even though you see his old man legs and it's gross, you're like, he knows he's important. Like he was, I don't know. We can make up a story, CEO, consultant, finance guy or something. Anyways, he stands there and he looks at me and he's got his Wall Street journal under his arm and he says, you must be a student. I'm like, well, he sees my stack of books and I'm like, well, you know, not really a student, but I do study a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And he immediately wants to tell me his analysis of pastoral ministry in that job market. And he explains to me, you know, I've just read some articles on this. It must be a really tough job these days. Churches everywhere, they're getting smaller, smaller, and older and older. I just read the reports. Young people, they don't want to listen to a sermon and they don't want to go to a church. And I'm like, yeah, no, I've read those reports too. Yeah, it must be tough. And he's like, so tell me about your church. And I said, yeah, we grew by about 100 people last year, and it's all young people. (laughs) So I can't explain it. I've read the reports. It's not supposed to work like that. Young people don't want to listen to sermons that are 45 minutes long. But it's just what we do. And in the last year, we've grown by 33%. In the last year, we've given more in missions than ever before. In the last year, everything that you can measure, our groups and our missions and our outreach and our influence and our community service and, and, and the numbers and our everything we do, the number of kids, the number of babies we've had, every measurable category you have, pretty much we've grown in it. It's not something, it's not supposed to work like this, but God... God seems intent on blessing us. Sometimes in life, it feels like we're going 100 miles an hour. At least it does for me. I'm pretty sure it does for most of you too. And today, we just want to stop and we want to look back and say, you know, how has God blessed our church and how has God blessed us individually? And we want to stop and we want to look forward. Because here's the thing. God has ridiculously blessed us, ridiculously, in the last few years as a church. But he's also called us to a ridiculously hard mission. A mission that if he doesn't supernaturally intervene, if he doesn't bless us, if he doesn't empower us, there's no possible way we can do what he's asking us to do. So with that in mind, I want to dust off an old story here. And today we're going to talk about a story that I haven't talked about in a couple years. It's the story of Jehoash. Jehoash was a king. There's not a lot to say about him. If you read in the Bible, there's really just a couple lines that describe him. The Bible will describe him this way. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's about all we get. Now, don't get me wrong. If Jehoash showed up at our church or if we, if you met him at a dinner party or something, he wouldn't look particularly evil. He didn't have like one of those funny mustaches Hitler has. He, you know, none of that. He seemed like a normal guy. He was a guy who had money. But he spent the money on himself, and he had power, and he used his power and influence for his own purposes. 
He was basically just a selfish guy, a guy that's not that different from us. So Jehoash, though, he hears that Elisha, the prophet of God, is dying, and he decides that he wants to go down and see him. So this is the story. In 2 Kings chapter 13, we see this scene where Jehoash, he shows up, and it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. He's literally on his deathbed. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Like Jehoash sees Elisha, the prophet of God, and he just breaks down. Like he's weeping and weeping because Elisha is not just another guy. He's not just a good man. He's not just a man of God. Elisha is the prophet. Elisha is the very word of God to the king. Elisha is a walking Bible. At that time, they did not have Bibles. There was no Bible app. So if the king wanted to hear a word from God, what is God saying? How is he leading us? He had to go to Elisha. And when the king looks at Elisha and realizes that he's dying, he realizes that he might never hear from God again. So he weeps. But that's not the only reason he's crying. If you look at that last line here, he calls them the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Now the chariots and horsemen of Israel, that's a reference to the army, the standing army of the Israelites, right? But it's also something else. He actually refers to Elisha in this way. It's like, it's like Elisha's nickname. So let me explain. Um, at that time, this is ancient Israel, and they were, they were over here down in Samaria, and just to the east, really up in this area, is what we would know as Syria, the Arameans. And here's a town called Aphek. And at that time, they were like similar to today in recent times. Israel and Syria were mortal enemies, constantly embroiled in these bloody, terrible battles. And here's the thing. Every time Israel went, every time Israel went, every time Israel went to battle, they lost. Except when Elisha prayed for him. When Elisha got on his knees before God and prayed for the nation, they won. Supernaturally. They defeated the enemy they could not defeat on their own. And the king knows that without Elisha, there might be no word from God. Without Elisha, there would be no help from God. That even this wicked, selfish sinner, Jehoash, can see that without Elisha, it's not going to be good. So he weeps, and then verse 15 says this. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did. Now, I want you to see this here. God, God, through the prophet Elisha, decides that he wants to bless, bless Jehoash. Jehoash, the man who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoash, the man who's selfish, who used all of his wealth and all of his power to aggrandize his own kingdom for his own purposes, for his own pleasure. Jehoash, the man who ignored God for years. God loves him and wants to bless him. God wants to bless sinners. So he says to him, get a bow and some arrows. And so he did. And he said, take the bow in your hand, he, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now open the east window. What's to the east? 
Syria, the Arameans, the, the enemy you cannot destroy. Shoot, Elisha said. And they pulled the arrow and he shot. And Elisha said of this, declared of this, the Lord's arrow of victory, the, uh, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will be, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. This arrow is not just an arrow, Elisha said. This is a symbol that you, a sinner, God wants to bless you. That God put a blessing in your hand and he wants you to have it. But God's not done. Verse 18 says this. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha said, strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. Now watch this. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. And that's it. I remember reading this in uh, like college. And I was like, what in the world just happened? Like, isn't that weird? Like, this is an ancient story with, like, these prophetic images, arrows, and this prophet dying on his deathbed. This is a 2,800-year-old story with crazy things going on. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? But I want you to set that aside for a minute, and I want you to consider this. I'm pretty sure that if we could understand Elisha's anger, if we can understand why he's furious, then we can understand the whole thing. You see, Elisha just looked at Jehoash and said, see these arrows? These aren't just arrows. This is an opportunity from God. God just said to you, he wants to bless you. You. Now, how are you going to respond? God knows that you're a sinner. He knows that you've used his kingdom for your purposes. He knows all of this and he loves you anyway. And when the king gives a half-hearted response, Elisha's furious. Do you know what you just missed out on? Do you understand that the God of the universe wants to bless you? He just said he's going to defeat the enemy. You can't defeat. He's going to give you victory. You could never have. Do you understand? God just put this in your hand. Now, what are you going to do with it? Jehoash, God is placing your hand an unprecedented opportunity. He's placing your hand an opportunity to experience victory unlike anything you've ever known. And this is how you respond. Some half-hearted, safe, predictable response. And Elisha's like, no, you, you should have taken it. And you should have beaten the ground so you couldn't see straight. Like you should have beaten the ground like a crazy man. Like when God puts an opportunity in your hands, you take it with all of your might. Like, what are you so afraid of? Are, are you afraid of, of losing control? Are you afraid of looking silly? Are you afraid of trusting God? Are you afraid of letting God bless you? Are you afraid that if you let God bless you, that he'll start meddling in your life? 
and he'll ask more of you. Whatever the case, Elisha says, your safe and predictable faith will give you safe and predictable results. God's still going to bless you a little, but you are going to miss out on God's best. And Elisha says that, and then he dies. Elisha's last word to the king, the, the very word of God, the last word of God spoken to the king is this. You missed it. You just missed out on God's best. He put it in your hand. You could have taken it and you missed it. And then he dies. Church, the longer I do this, the more I'm convinced of two things. One, um, we, and I speak collectively here, we are a bunch of sinners. Saved by, by Christ, yes. Righteous because of what Christ did on the cross for us and dying and rising from the dead, yes. Being made more like Christ, yes. But we, friends, have no, make no mistake about this, are sinners saved by grace alone. The second thing I'm convinced of is that God wants to bless us. And he keeps putting opportunities in our hands. Over the past few years, we've grown in almost every measurable category. Attendance, giving, ministries, leaders, new, new groups, volunteers, new partnerships in the community, staff, outreach, short-term projects, uh, short-term missions, global missions, Community impact every measure we have. We now have 49 ministries and programs. Last year, in terms of impact, our our sermons were downloaded over 14,000 times. We reached over 5,000 people at our outreach events. We gave record amounts to missions. We're sending 21 people just to Bulgaria this year. Unfortunately, those are pretty stupid, simple measures. They don't really measure the heart of it sometimes. And sometimes the best measures of what God's doing in us and his blessing is really um, kind of an upside down or backwards measure. So one of the measures that I've most appreciated in recent times is heroin. In the past five years as a pastor here, uh, I've had five cases where I've had to sit down with someone in our church and had to help their family work through a case dealing with drug addiction, specifically c- cocaine and heroin. Like cocaine's blowing up my marriage, my kids addicted to heroin, that type of thing. In the past five months, I've had six cases. Now, that might seem you might like, that's terrible. What's happening to our church? But no, no, do you understand? This is God's upside down metric here. Like, one of the things that we've been praying about for five and a half years is that we would be a safe place to struggle because, because we pleaded with God, please don't make us just the pretty church full of people who pretend to be righteous. God, let us be real. May we be a safe place to struggle, a place where it's okay to not be okay. And God said, okay, I'll answer that prayer. In the last five months, the cases of heroin abuse Depression, divorce, anxiety, on and on we could go. Pornography, all kinds of sexual struggles has exploded. And it's terrible. And it's awesome. God's answering our prayers to the point that I'm now praying, God, send me healthy people. (laughs) I don't know what healthy people, pretty healthy people. (laughs) I'm kidding. 
In the next few minutes, I want to stop and I want to look at opportunities that God has placed in our hands. And I want to talk about our Jehoash moment. You know, I want to talk about what, like, what has God placed in our hands and what's our response going to be? Is it going to be safe and predictable or are we going to give ourselves to the things that God is putting in front of us? These are not divine. I am no prophet. I'm not Elisha. This is not thus saith the Lord. These are just some things I've worked with the elders and some things that we've recognized as opportunities before our church. And these are half the celebration of the ridiculous way God has blessed us and half bemoaning the ridiculously hard mission we have in front of us. So let's jump into it. The first thing I want to point out is this. We have an opportunity, number one, to reach the next generation in Phoenixville. I have a quick question for you. How many of you placed your faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 18? How many of you? Yeah, that looks pretty standard there. If you look around the room, you'll notice nationally the average is 85% of people place their faith in Christ before the age of 18. Now I have another question. How many of you made terrible decisions in your life before the age of 18 and wish that someone had come alongside you and helped you make better decisions? Yeah, yeah. And if you don't have your hands up, you're probably lying. You need to deal with that. Okay. There are currently over 3,700 students enrolled in the Phoenixville Area School District. Over 1,800 between just the high school and the middle school. 1,800. That's projected to grow by a thousand students in the next three to four years. So eventually there's going to be, in the next three to four years, we're expecting about 7,000, uh, 4,700 students enrolled in the school district. That, let me, how many ministries are there devoted to reaching those students? Zero. Zero. Who's going to reach these kids? Who's going to tell them about the love of Christ? Who's going to tell the young women that they don't have to find their value in what other boys think about them? Who's going to tell the young men to be men of God, that there's something greater to give your life to than athletics or or a good grade? Who's going to help coach them make better decisions? Who's going to tell them that church... It's not about some formal assembly where you just go through the motions, but it's about a relationship with the living God. By Sunday morning attendance, we are now the largest church in Phoenixville. I know it's embarrassing, but we are. We're a young, growing church. We meet at the middle school. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, God might be calling us to this task? I don't know. If we don't reach those thousands of kids, who will? Opportunity number two, we have an opportunity to multiply the impact of our whole community through women's ministry. So the earliest followers of Jesus Christ were 12 bumbling men and a few amazing devoted women who supported the 12 bumbling men. So do you know who the the biggest supporters of the Apostle Paul were? Women. Business women, leaders. Do you know who hosted the house churches in like Philippi and, and, and Ephesus? Women. 
So Rodney Stark, a sociologist from University of Washington, sociologist, historian, he did a study, a massive study on the early church, and, and he concluded that it, one of the main reasons the early church was able to reshape the entire Roman Empire in such a short amount of time, and it did this without money and without political power, one of the main reasons it was able to do it was because of the role of women. That in a world where women were treated violently, oppressed, objectified, the church became safe, supportive, told women that they had eternal value and purpose, that they were part of a greater mission, that they weren't animate tools, but they were children of God, and the women flourished, and with the women, the whole church flourished. In fact, he argues quite successfully, I think, that the success of the early church was built on the backs of women. You know, at GVF, we've always had women involved in our ministries and involved in a lot of ministry leadership, involved in leading worship and leading various ministries and part of the teams and serving everywhere. But you may know that we have yet to really tap into the potential kingdom impact that women at GVF can have. In the last two years, not really by trying that hard, but by kind of organically, God's raised up some women who are like, I can do this and I can do this. And they've just started leading things very organically. And in the last year, our women's ministry has more than tripled, both in programming and in numbers. So we now have the if gathering and the if whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> we have multi-layers of Bible studies. We have prayer meetings. We have groups for young moms. We've got new things starting. And so this spring, I sat down with the leaders and said, hey, I need to get out of the way so that you guys can really succeed. And we need to add some structure and we need to give some support and some resources towards this. So we are officially forming a women's leadership team with the current leaders who are, have just risen organically. And Megan Glenn is, is going to start devoting part of her time towards being women's ministry coordinator for the foreseeable future. Because we believe that when women flourish, it will multiply the impact of our mission, of our discipleship, of our service in amazing ways. Opportunity. Number three, we have an unprecedented opportunity to be a transforming presence in Phoenixville. Um, since I first came to GVF, it's been clear that God's been leading us to focus on Phoenixville. I know that about half of our church comes from outside of Phoenixville, and that's great. We're glad you're here. You're welcome to be part of it. Like, we want you to be part of it. Absolutely. But the focus of our ministry, of our service, of our community impact has always been Phoenixville. Five and a half years later, after we've had that focus, we're finally getting to, to a position to basically make the changes and have the strategic impact that we thought we could have. So let me, let me just go over a list of a few things we've seen in the last year. We co-sponsored Pumpkin Fest, a community-wide event with over 3,000 in attendance. We gave out nearly 100 gift cards to our members and told them, you go take your friend out to dinner. <laughs> We hosted a fundraiser outreach called uh, Christmas at the Colonial, which raised thousands of dollars for Good Samaritan Shelter. And we broke like all kinds of like fire code laws because we packed out the house. We had more overcapacity there, more than 700 in attendance. We've started really small but strategic ministry with Naveen, Theology at the Pub. Sorry, I'm going to lose my arrows there. Theology at the pub where we're inviting a conversation. We're building this place where people can come meet us because we don't think those conversations will necessarily happen here. So we want to meet them at Molly McGuire's where we think they can have those types of honest, open conversations. 
We've just now begun to leverage the full capacity of our storefront location, the bridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with all the the events we do with First Fridays and food truck festivals and all that. Uh, Just this past Friday, we had an amazing food demonstration outreach going on there where we interacted with over 500 people. Community leaders have begun to come to us to address broader needs in the community. So, so last fall, the superintendent of the school district came to a few pastors and said, hey, we have a problem with student homelessness in our school district. 50 to 60 students per year go through a period of homelessness. So they asked us to consider starting a ministry. And so we've, we now have a team where we're the, the church that's leading the way on this. We're the, it's not just our ministry, but but right now we're the only ones in it. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's called Safe Families. And so we're, we're starting this ministry to help address a pressing need within the community. Um, last year we had, last winter, we were asked to help address the code blue need where homeless people who didn't have a place to stay. They actually, community leaders came to us and said, hey, will you help us meet this need? Uh, this spring, I was asked, it's really funny. I'm like the only evangelical in this crowd. It's all these community leaders. And I'm the one who's asked to do the main prayer for the Martin Luther King prayer breakfast. I'm like, I'm going to say something offensive. I know it. So let me apologize in advance. But they asked me to be part of that, which is a huge honor. Because people are recognizing GVF as a community leader. We have significant partnerships with local churches, with nonprofits, Good Samaritan, a baby's breath, the house, Orion Community Services. We now have a significant online presence. Last year, over 18,600 some people engaged with our content on Facebook. That means they liked it, they shared it, they commented on it, and, and then over 14,000 sermons were downloaded. Now, you might be like, what does that have to do with Phoenixville? I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. Over 80% of those 18,000 who engaged in 14,000 listens were within 25 miles of Phoenixville. That means we're saturating a very small area that God's given us a particular footprint of influence, both physically in the community, online in the community, in relationships, that we're now at a point where God's given us facilities, relationships, talent, resources, and passion to be a transforming influence in our community. So last January, the elders met with 15 focus groups and led us to a time of prayer and fasting and seeking God. And when they asked the question, what do you think is God's greatest, uh, the greatest God-given opportunity before GVF? Do you know what you answered by far the number one answer? To be a transforming presence in the community. You talked about the bridge. You talked about outreach events. You talked about things like safe families and theology at the pub and Christmas at the colonial. You talked about ways that we can serve and where we can meet unique needs within the community that no one else can meet. That loving and serving the people of Phoenixville, being a church that makes our community more like God's kingdom, that to see Phoenixville be a place that's being transformed by the salt and light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that you think is our biggest opportunity. And I have to say, we agree. I think you're on to something. So the question is when God puts amazing opportunities in your hand and says, man, I want to bless you. Like, I want to bless you. I know you're sinners. 
Some more than others, you know? I know you're sinners. And I love you anyways. And I want to bless you. And I'm putting these opportunities in your hand. What are you going to do? So, you know, safe and predictable faith results in safe and predictable results. I'm not Elisha. Never called down fire from heaven. Never sent a bear to maul teenagers. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read your Bible. It's awesome. So I don't know. I'm not going to say these are your opportunities. I'm saying these are our opportunities, right? I'm not going to say that, that you should be serving in youth ministry and you should be giving extra money to our youth ministry and you should be serving on Bridge Street and you should look for ways that you can get implanted in our community and you should be leading and, and serving and joining the team for women's ministry and women's events. I'm not going to say that to you. I'm going to let God say that to you. <laughs> and maybe that's not it for you at all. Maybe God's got something else he's put in your hands, put on your hearts. For me, my concern is not that you get involved in our things. My concern is that you actually listen to God and ask him, God, what have you put in my hand? Like, what do you want me to do? And then you join me in whatever that God-giving calling is. And it might be at work, and it might be at home, and it might have nothing to do with our three things. That you join me in beating the ground like a madman. <laughs> and putting aside like this safe, predictable faith. That you go all in. That in another year we can say, I don't know if this is what I was supposed to do, but I was all in. I took the opportunity God gave me. And if, if anything happened from it, it's because I left it all out on the field. I don't know. It's a silly image. Beating the ground over and over till you can't see straight. But it's an image that I hope you won't get over soon. So we're going to close today uh, with communion. And uh, if you're new to us or never done this before, we, we proceed to the front and we come down the sides and then we do intention where you take the bread and you dip it in the cup and you take it at once. And let me explain to you, that's the function, that's how we do communion, but let me explain to you what communion is. Communion is essentially an act of faith saying that I believe God's word, that I want to take the opportunities that he's given me, that I trust him. Communion is an act of faith that when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are saying, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that he paid the penalty of my sins so that I can live. I believe that because of Christ's death, God the Father looks on me and says, this is my child and whom I love and him or her, I am well pleased. That I believe that Jesus has removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. That I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death. He conquered everything that there's nothing that he cannot conquer. I believe that he called me to be part of his mission, that he's given me his very spirit, that he's empowered me to love, forgive, show kindness, have mercy, fight for justice, and become more and more like him. When we eat and when we drink, we're confessing. I believe. 
I believe that this life is not what it's all about, but there's something bigger. I believe that I've been called to a mission that all the busy lists of my life, they mean nothing compared to Jesus Christ and what he's doing. I believe that all the other things that distract me are nothing compared to the still small voice of what God's saying to me right now. I believe that I am going to die and my body will be put into the ground, but that is not the end. And what's more important is when I stand resurrected before my Lord and I can worship him. If you've never believed, we're not going to push you. We're not going to like, you have to sign this. We're not going to. If you've never believed or if you don't believe, man, we are so glad you're here. We want to be a place where you can come and watch and you can ask us questions and we can talk about that. But this is fundamentally a statement that I believe. So if you don't believe, uh, we would ask you to just sit back and watch and listen to what God's saying to you today. But I do want to just lay this out there. If, um, if you don't believe, maybe you should. Maybe today's the day. Maybe the thing that's holding you back is you. And not just all those facts and all those hurts and all those things. Maybe today's the day to let that down and say, you know what, I'm going to trust God. Because even if I don't understand it, I know that God sent his son to die for me and rose from the dead. And I do believe that. And I'm going to live by faith, not by how I feel right now. I'm going to trust that there's a God who's bigger than all my reasons and all my rations. If the servers would come forward... I'm going to pray, read from 1 Corinthians, and then if you would come forward as you feel led outside the rows. So let's pray. Father, we give this time to you. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us in amazing ways. And God, I pray that we would be faithful, faithful in following you. God, I pray that you'd embolden us to take the opportunities you've laid before us and just to pursue them wholeheartedly, Lord. I pray that we would learn from Jehoash and that we would not follow his way, that our faith would be radical, trusting in you. God, I I pray for this time and pray as you lead our people in this time that you would speak to them and that they would hear you and that we as a church would glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would come forward as I, I read these words. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drank this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim, I believe. You proclaim the all-satisfying, all-hopeful, all-glorious death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would lead us, that you'd call us out. And God, that we'd follow, that we'd get out of the boat, that we would step out in faith. God, we don't want to be a safe, predictable church. We want to be your church, whatever that means. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.